to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Better Golf Pod Nation, welcome back to the show, and I hope you had a successful Players Championship. If you're new to the program, I am Spencer Aguiar, otherwise known on Twitter as Tee Off Sports. And I am joined by my co-host, Nick Brettwish, who you can find online at S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. The two of us will be taking you through the board for the Valspar Championship, hoping to keep the momentum rolling and more tickets getting cashed at the counter this weekend in Florida. Nick, how are you doing on this hectic Tuesday of odds just getting released? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Obviously, uh, waiting for the odds is uh, is something I do not like. As, you know, I'm a man of routine. I like to do everything on Tuesday early in the morning and get done with it. But yeah, that just was not the case with what happened with the weather at the players. But other than that, I'm doing very well. Uh, the Hammer Kid came through. The Hail Mary Girl came through. And the live play of Cam Smith came through as well. So all three of the Twitter plays seemed to crush it so i I love that i was in the running for the millionaire maker on millionaire maker on monday morning Um, my lineups did not have cam smith so that was kind of half the reason i hedged out on the live ticket there but my model loved cam smith and i uh, i was interacting with somebody on twitter about it's like i model loves his upside with the putter and really no one in the the leaderboard scared me too much. I knew Keegan would probably hit the water eventually. Just didn't think he'd last that long. And he kind of came out of nowhere. But yeah, it's kind of a bummer just because I was so close. I think I was in the top 10 with, uh, I don't know, like after Cam Smith's third birdie, I was like, all right, Cam, either slow down or win it so I could win the outright. But I obviously would have rather had the DFS outcome. But no, it was a it was a fun week. It sucked just like waiting around, not watching golf on Friday and Saturday for the most part. But other than that, it is over and it was profitable weekend. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, I thought we were never going to get out of TPC Sawgrass. It felt like the never-ending tournament where we might still be here today trying to close shop, but we did eventually end things on Monday night with Cameron Smith, as you said, capturing the title. Uh, I obviously will have a few thoughts on that, which I will discuss in a second, but uh, talk to me a little bit more in depth about your card. I know you said you added Cam as an outright on Monday. Assume the week was profitable from everything that you just said, but go over your card a little and how many units did you end up when everything was said and done? Yeah, it was a it was a great week for me without actually hitting a pre-tournament outright um, plus five point four seven units and three of those pretty much came from Cam Smith. But the good for me was Dustin Johnson top forty. I had briefly mentioned that uh, that FanDuel pricing error. I believe a couple other people on Twitter found it. So you know, sharp players there. Russell Henley, the hammer top forty, absolutely love that. Abraham Answer, a guy that I was so high on this week, I did want him to win outright, but he kind of faded on Monday. But his top forty came through. Johnny Vegas was was one of the bad. For, actually, I had uh, Tommy Fleetwood top forty as well at plus one twenty five on points, but that was great. And then Russell Knox, the Hail Mary person of the week or Hail Mary girl, whatever we're calling that gift. That was a great one for me. It was plus 230. So love to get that ticket through the window. But the bad, uh, Johnny Vegas. I don't even know if I call it bad because I feel like that was such a sharp ticket. It was what? plus 260 and he was at like minus five and then all of a sudden on sunday just all hell broke loose like it does it tpc saw grass and and that ticket flipped on me uh thomas peters top 40 was a bummer it seemed like he played real well day one we were oh actually so picking on adam scott was fine because sunjay cashed over him i had that one then xander i was just so heavily invested in xander both on the outright i went a little more than i usually do and maybe he could make up for it this week but i had xander over adam scott after day one i was like all right this is locked xander's good and then he got to minus five and Am Scott was like, well, I don't know, plus a million. 
plus seven or whatever he was at. I think he finished plus four. But yeah, then Xander just the bad for me was when players I backed obviously went in the water like a million times. But other than that, it was a profitable week. I got out of there alive in a better one of the better weeks for me this year at plus five point four seven units. But how about yourself? Uh, I would say that the old golf adage that you only need to hit one good shot a hole to make par is a really good way to explain golf betting. Also, you know, Nick, I'm proud of what you and I have done in pushing the perception towards other sectors of the market and not just solely betting outright. Like when you heard Nick talk there, yeah, the Cam Smith ticket ends up winning in three units back, but that's not what decided the week. There was a lot more that went into it. Uh, In tournament betting isn't something that we can realistically discuss on this pod, but a combination of that pre-tournament head-to-heads, placement wagers, and outright bets can really put us in a position that not everything needs to be perfect to have a successful week. And we saw that come to fruition with my card at the players. I ended up 0.69 units after everything was said and done. I dropped dropped 2.67 units on matchups and outrights, but I was able to escape the tournament in the green because of my placement wagers cashing in on four of the six. Munoz plus 260, Henley plus 135, Keegan plus 195, and Seamus plus 185 all helped add to that total. Unfortunately, I ended up betting answer as a plus uh, as a top 30 instead of a top 40. So that collapse ended up costing me a little bit there. But it goes to show that it only takes a few things to break your way to continue growing your bankroll. Remember, you don't need to win every time. You just need to win more than you lose. And one of the ways we can accomplish that is avoiding top heavy cards and better structure from top to bottom. Yeah, I think what you said that's most important that I, you know, especially for me, a guy that does not love to bet a lot of outrights, but yeah, I was damn near plus two and a half units just off the top 40 market alone. So yeah, I mean, that's always been my claim to fame, I guess, in in golf betting is that that's been, you know, my profitable sector there. But yeah, it's just, it speaks to diversification in your card and just not forcing anything. Cause I did obviously force a lot more on Xander. I talked about that, but the fact that I kind of stuck to my roots, found edges in top forties that I, I didn't really have that many top 40 plays. I only had five. I think the only one I lost was, all right, I had six at Las Vegas and Peters. But other than that, it was a great week overall just from that standpoint. Yeah, I lost Peters also. I'll throw that into the other one that I lost along with answer on it. Yeah, it's plus 250, though. I mean, you, it's it's plus 250 for a reason, despite us arguing with that price tag. But, you know, that's why we bet it. But He's yeah. plus 250 because he is an underdog to end up cashing it. I thought it was good value. I would bet it again. He started extremely hot and then everything kind of seemed to fall apart on him. But he was on the right side of the weather draw. You know, that's a little unfortunate that that didn't come through. But yeah, I mean, as both of us just said, this is all about trying to find value. And at the end of the day, value is what's going to end up winning us weeks with it. So just keep that in mind when you build your cards. There's always going to be weeks that are better than others. There's going to be weeks where you find more plays. Just don't force things on it. And I think that, Nick, you and I do a very good job of kind of just trying to explain that on this show all the time with it. So um, do you have anything else you want to discuss before we move into the Valspar? No, let's roll it. I'm excited to uh, to move on from TPC Sawgrass. Despite it being good, it was still, you know, just a, a ton of work to find all the tickets that I wanted to punch. And then just, again, finding actual value when the course is so volatile. I just don't like that. So I'm excited to get to a more reasonable, less than driver type of course here at the Valspar. Yeah, it, un- it unfortunately took all in-tournament head-to-head wagers off the board for me. I just didn't even want to get included into those matchups. I, there's just way too much volatility there. But all right, so we have Copperhead course at Innisbrook Resort, 7,360 yards, par 71, another week of Bermuda greens that are overseeded with Poa Trivialis. We have seen this venue rank inside the top 10 hardest tracks on tour over the past few years. 
which gets accentuated during the closing stretch of 16, 17, and 18 called the snake pit. All three of those holes feature between a 19.9% to 30.1% bogey or higher percentage. But there are more issues to be had than just there since 12 of the holes have over an 18.4% bogey rate. Last five winners of the tournament have been Sam Burns in 2021 at 17 under. There was a cancellation because of COVID in 2020. Paul Casey won in both 2018 and 2019 at 8 and 10 under. Adam Hadwin took this down at 14 under in 2017. And Charles Schwartzel in 2016 at 7 under par. I know you will be happy to see that course history is not quite as impactful this week as we have seen the last handful of tracks. It's not to say that course knowledge won't help since it ranges above average in predictability. But what are your thoughts about the property and what did you weigh statistically for the week? Yeah, mainly for me, I always look at your weighted T degree and that's something that I value a ton. I greatly appreciate you sharing that with everybody for free on Twitter at T off sports, but uh, overall good golfers. I want guys that can hit fairways. I want guys that can scramble. I want guys that are good around the green and obviously approach is great. We talk about that at most tournaments, especially on these smaller greens, but yeah, guys are going to miss the green. So I want people that can clean it up around the green. And again, I want putters. I t- kind of talked about that last week at TPC that if you look at the stroke skin metrics it doesn't really say a whole lot for good putters but as you saw on monday if you can get hot with the putter you could certainly take this to a whole new level in golf and that is something that i'm looking for this week i just want overall quality players and hopefully they're positive with the putter i think everybody that i took in my card for the most part is or at least has been in their historic form and uh, that's kind of what i'm looking at but yeah i'll let you get into the the nitty-gritty with it yeah for this being a florida layout there are some interesting differences to note These fairways are tree-lined and extremely narrow, measuring just under 25 yards wide. That might lead you to believe that the eight water hazards, 74 bunkers, or three-inch thick rough would be what makes this course so demanding. But penalty strokes per round for wayward drives are actually below tour average. That is going to be one of the more surprising takeaways that you are going to have from this breakdown, since it means the difficulty of the track isn't coming in the same respect as we saw at TPC Sawgrass or Bay Hill. There is still water that will come into play for the field, but the real answer for what makes this so demanding is the hidden yardage on your second shot. All four par fives have length to them, stretching 560 to 605 yards. The shortest of the group will be the most gettable at 41.7% birdie or better percentage, but we do see the 605-yard fifth only yield a 21.5 birdie or better rate. That is as low as you will see on the PGA Tour and really amplifies the need to score on those four chances when you get them. We have an abnormal five par threes that all stretch between 195 to 235 yards. Those two factors will help help bake in some of the proximity numbers I'm going to mention in a second. But there are also a handful of par fours where driver is taken out of your hand and players will be required to work the ball in both directions uh, to account for the dog legs. We see the difficulty ramped up with four par fours that stretch between 450 to 475 yards which play as four of the six most challenging holes at the track. And all of those factors lead us to this constant barrage where 67.8% of approach shots come from 150 yards and beyond. Uh, The greens are relatively small in diameter. That helps to lower GAR percentage naturally. And the mixture of those smaller than average greens and overabundance of mid to long iron shots makes this test tricky for players that might not excel with an iron in their hand. I will quickly go through my model to highlight what I looked into for the week. There does seem to be a heightened importance on iron play and then the putting that Nick just mentioned. Those two things are a little trickier to gauge since a combination of the two usually don't go together. In my opinion, 
the best ball striker that can get hot with his putter will be the one that wins this tournament. And that's never something that is easy to predict. But I started with the weighted tee to green stat that Nick mentioned for 25%. I think I've explained this one enough over the past month. Uh, but this weight continues to make, you know, my model on Florida courses um, because of the way that this is. I think the breakdown for Copperhead for me was 21% off the tee, 56% approach from 150 plus yards, and 23% around the green. You can look at my model to get all the answers, but the top five there yielded Thomas, Bradley, Ustazen, Morikawa, and Lowry. I did a mixture of strokes gain putting on mixed surfaces and strokes gain total on those same surfaces for 12.5%. That is a bit of an inexact science, but I thought it was a good way to gauge players that will like overseeding the best. Fitzpatrick, Burns, DJ, Norin, and Hatton were the top five there. From experience, Dustin is usually incredible when you give him overseeding properties like this. The majority of my wins on him have come when it plays into this type of a course. I did 12.5% on strokes gain total at difficult courses. I don't think this will play nearly as hard as we have seen during some years because of all the rain in Florida, but it's still one of the more challenging tracks because of the quirks that come into play. Uh, weighted scrambling for 10%. I looked at bogey avoidance. I added a second go around of proximity numbers. I did a mixture of some of the distances that will provide golfers the most issues and then took a weighted total from all that to get the scrambling numbers. Par 5 birdie or better percentage, 20%. Another par 72 course, as I mentioned, these are very difficult par 5s to score on. Total driving, 10%. There's a lot of forced layups. I wouldn't go heavier than that on this, but I do like doing a split between good drive percentage and distance since the good drive percentage takes into account clubbing down and the distance will help on some of the longer holes. And then I wrapped it up with GIR percentage and strokes gained around the green for 10%. That is a blended mix that slightly favored GIR percentage. As I said, these are smaller surfaces that will require golfers to save their score around the green. I don't think the green complexes are overly challenging, but the combination of the two should provide us a better idea of who is best suited for the test. So top five of that model produced Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, Louis Ustazen, Colin Morikawa, and I guess at this point, it's Nick's boy now, Xander Shockley. I used to think he was my boy, but it seems to be a Nick ticket every week with him. When running it for upside, Xander slips to sixth, and my boy Webb jumps inside the top five. You will notice with my model that I don't have many massive irregularities compared to pricing for the Valspar in general. But Nick, what did you like at the top of the board and what did the top of the board look like for you? So for me, it obviously gave me JT and Hovland one and two, Colin Morikawa three, Shane Lowry four. that was kind of surprising. And then yes, my, the boy, I, I don't know how many units I'm down now on Xander Shoffley, but I'm glad to join you. So you are not alone in the Xander losing uh, <laughs> negative EV Xander category, whatever you want to call us or the group. I don't, um, but Fitzpatrick and Sam Burns six and seven. So I was kind of uh, excited to see Fitzpatrick so high up. Cause you know how much I love him. I think his game fits great here, but yeah, that is uh, my top five is JT Hovland, Morikawa, Lowry and Xander. Yeah. Lowry Burns and Fitzpatrick are three guys that are either just inside the top 10 or just outside the top 10 with uh, Fitz. I guess actually, I'm sorry. They're all inside the top 10. Fitzpatrick is 10th. Uh, Burns is seventh for upside. Lowry is eighth overall. So I think all three of those guys make sense. And it's another week where the top of the board looks to be very strong to me. I, I don't think that there's too many differences that you can find. I guess let's start on the good end of the spectrum. Let's talk about DK pricing. I don't want to discuss much ownership since pricing just came out a few hours ago. We can make more sense of that by Wednesday. 
But was there anyone you thought was marginally mispriced or undervalued that caught your eye? Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to be very high on Cameron Tringale again this week. I wasn't super high on him last week. I know he was only 1% owned. I think I did 5% of my lineups with him. He did not get there, but Adam Hadwin's price close to 8K. I know the course history, cool, but that seems a little high. I'm sure he'll gain or, uh, gain a ton of ownership. Um, oh, Norin's way up there. I do like Norin this week, but. I think Fitzpatrick at 9K is a little low, especially when he's so high on our models, both of ours. I mean, you said he's 10th in yours and 6th in mine, so I like that value there. Um, Russell Knox up to 8,100. I think I'll just answer this with who I'm going to fade. I probably am fading Brooks again. I just don't like the game at all right now. I know his approach has been solid, uh, I guess, over the last month, but I'm not going to go there. Um, but Russell Knox at 8 to 100, I think, is going to be a fade for me. I think when he's in the, the mid sevens or lower than that, I like him at certain courses, but I'm sure he's going to be pretty popular this week. So Russell Knox, I'll be fading. But yeah, other than that, I, it's just at the top of the board is kind of what's going to, I'm sure, going to win this tournament. So I will probably have mixed exposure to all of them. The only one that concerns me is Dustin Johnson at 10.2, so $10,200 on DraftKings. What are your thoughts on DJ? I know he played amazing, tied the course record or whatever it was in that round four on Monday. But when Xander, I know Xander didn't, you know, the form, whatever. We don't need to talk about Xander. I'll go on a rant. But he's only $500 less than Morikawa, $600 less than Hovland, and 800 I guess 800 is a pretty big difference. But that gap between Morikawa and Dustin Johnson just feels like an easy Morikawa for me, and there's no really reason to play Dustin Johnson. But I, that's just me on Tuesday. I don't really dive into my lineup stuff until tomorrow. But I think you're unfortunately correct with that a little bit. Like when we look at the Monday finish from Dustin, that didn't help this at all. Like we're going to get a 15% owned Dustin that's now over $10,000. I wish he would have just continued the same trajectory, which is tough to say because at some point you need to see something good from Dustin if you want to play him. But I kind of like the leverage pivot spots that you could get. Even at the players last week, he was less than 10% owned in a lot of contests. I just thought that was a better spot to jump in to play him. I agree with you. I would rather get up to Hovland. I would rather get up to Morikawa. The Xander thing is all you at this point, I think. I just can't do it with them anymore. Like, they're fifth and sixth in my model. They're right next to each other. They seem to be about the same in my eyes. And then I know Louis Ustazen is going to be very popular himself, but I'd rather go down to Louis at 9,900 than play Dustin probably. And you even see it a little bit in all these offshore markets that are a little bit sharper. I know Dustin's a big dog to Louis. He's a massive dog to Morikawa and Hovland my numbers are kind of yielding the same results there when I run it. So he's sixth overall in my model. Like I don't want to make it like he's a poor play with it, but there just are other spots that I would rather get to. So uh, unfortunately I'm kind of in agreement with you on that. For sure. All right. Two more, two. I actually do have a ton of value on, I think, or at least right now, according to my model, my model loves Fleetwood at 9,100. He is 12th overall for me. I, I know my, I don't know like what exactly just overall he's a great course fit. I know the putter has been sketchy, I guess, this year, but historically he's a really good putter. So I'm I'm fine with trusting Tommy Fleetwood, especially after it seems he found his game a little bit at the players. And then one that the betting market seems to love, but DraftKings may have missed here is Christian Bazadenhout at 7,900 seems to be a guy that should be priced like in the mid, you know, AKs. 
maybe even 8,800, I think is what my model says, technically should be proper for where he is in my rankings. But yeah, so I guess the values for me are, again, and these are more up the board household name type of guys is Tommy Fleetwood and Christian Bezadenhout. I have Bezadenhout at a proper value at $8,700. So that kind of yeah, goes so, so my 88 is not way off then. All right, good to hear. Uh, as far as Fleetwood goes, he's just... I mean, he is going to be the forgotten about commodity. All the ownership is going to go to Kokrak, Answer, Fitzpatrick. Uh, people would rather drop down and play Norrin. They're going to rather go up and play Burns. I think from a leverage standpoint, Fleetwood makes sense in GPPs. Um, he does have a ne negative trajectory on my model when looking for upside. That is obviously a bit of a concern with it. But at $9,100, I, I do think that he provides some leverage and we talked about him a little bit off air before we came on. I never liked Tommy Fleetwood. I tried to fade him last week. I would have done it incorrectly against Spieth. I faded him the week before that against, um, I don't remember who I had him against, but it was a matchup that didn't win either with it. So obviously Fleetwood has been a fade candidate, but he's top 20 in my model this week. This is probably the most I've liked him in a really long time. And if nobody's going to play him, I, I certainly think in GPPs, he makes sense. Awesome. I'm glad you somewhat agree with me, it sounds like. No, I think you're correct with that. I think that there's a lot of spots. Like, I think if you look at this $8,000 range, I think Varner, Webb Simpson, which I want to get your thoughts on in a second. I'll, I'll run through some of the players I want, but I think Webb Simpson might go under-owned. I think Kevin Kisner might go a little bit owned. I think you might be on to something with Tringali. He's probably going to go a little bit under-owned this week, but... Yeah, all the players are, or all the users are going to all the same players, it seems like. All right, last question. Dustin Johnson or Tyrrell Haddon? I love Tyrrell Haddon, and he never is over 10% owned. It doesn't matter what tournament, what price, no one ever plays this guy. I don't know why. He's absolutely hilarious to watch. I'm sure you guys all saw the uh, English TV channel that showed him <laughs> cussing at that putt. But Haddon, I'm going to assume I, my ownership projection is like right around 6 to 7. Maybe that's a little too low, but Haddon or DJ? If you were to promise me that Hatton is going to be six to seven percent, uh, let's go with that for the sake of this story. If he does come down to sub sub eight percent, it's sure it'll, I'm almost guaranteeing it'll be sub ten, just because again who he's priced around with Sam Burns, a pr previous winner, is cheaper than him. Yeah, I don't know. So let's say Hatton's seven percent owned and DJ's fifteen. Any lineup uh, outside of a cash game, so GPP single entry. Who are you going with? In that exact scenario, I will take Hatton. I will throw this out there right now on my numbers. And, and obviously this is a Tuesday that we are recording this, which we always do, but usually ownership comes out on Monday. So we get a little bit more of, you know, the ownership that we know where it's going to go with it. But as of right now, I have Dustin at 14.8%. I have Hatton at 12.5%. I'm in agreement with you. I think Hatton's will go down a little bit, but if there's only going to be a two or 3% dis, uh, difference on it, I would rather play Dustin in that scenario. If it's going to be half the ownership, I will take Hatton in that regard. Certainly. Okay. I respect that. All right. I will rattle off a few names that I like this week. You will probably hear most of these come later when I discuss other markets. Um, and some of these are going to go very far down the board, but I like Pat Perez at 6,900. Aaron Wise, 7,700. I do think the top three are in the correct order of JT Hovland and Morikawa. That makes things marginally trickier when the top of the board is priced well. But I would have had Louie as my fourth choice. And that's kind of where I'm going with Dustin, maybe just being a little bit overvalued. I think Louie over 10,000 makes a lot of sense. I think with him creeping into this upper 9K range, I get why people are going to him at 20% ownership, but I can't really say that they're wrong in doing so. I think Mito Pereira is way too cheap at 7,200. That's another guy where ownership seems to be flocking to him early in the week. I hate to say it, but there is no reason Alex Noren should be below Jason Day on the board. 
I think Norin has some value, especially when it comes to cash games. Jason Kokrak and Matthew Fitzpatrick are good values in the low $9,000 zone. Joel Damon, 7,100. Jonathan Vegas, 7,500. And I do think Webb Simpson is worth a shot at $8,300. I know he missed the cut at the players, but I thought he looked healthy in the process and likely will be overlooked in DFS contests. I will let you be the voice of reason on Webb here since I tout him every single show and every tournament that he's in. But any love for Webb at this price tag of what and an ownership that's going to probably be seven or eight percent at this point? So my post-it notes for my uh, my my mental when I'm when I'm building my lineups, I have a bunch of post-it notes on the wall that say never play Webb Simpson. Well, there's just one that says never play Webb Simpson. I did scratch that off and said besides this week. So I'm in on Webb Simpson. Let's go. Uh, yeah, definitely. If he's going to be like five percent owned, I, I did see a couple of his swings. I Obviously, the ESPN plus and whatever didn't show a whole lot of web this week, but he looked fine when he was hitting the ball. I mean, he obviously was a product of the weather and bad conditions, but it's not like he blew up or anything. He kind of hung around there. So I'm in on an 8,300 web Simpson who my model thinks is an excellent course fit. Um, assuming he's healthy, obviously that is uh, something that we'll, we'll never really know. And great tip by the way, on Hideki, I think you mentioned it last week on the show that he was telling, you know, offshore radios that his neck and back was hurting or whatever it was. And that was a big fade for me in DFS. So I think regardless of not having much cam Smith, uh, just fading a 12 and a half, 15% or 13% owned Hideki, that was just a huge leverage. So good call on that. I wanted to bring that up earlier. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think for the most part, our fades were pretty good last week. Now, obviously, I also had Cam Smith as a fade. But if you remember me saying on the show, one of the things that I mentioned was he's a much better outright bet, which is just going to naturally equate to a GPP play in the same regards with that. I ended up betting Daniel Berger against him in a head-to-head. So unfortunately, that didn't get to the window. But those are the types of spots. Like we saw it with Kepka last week, where if everybody's going to play a very volatile golfer, I'll go the other way with it. And now we have Webb with, with, yes, there's a lot of volatility around him. We don't know where his health exactly is. But what I can tell you is he's going to be 6% owned or less. He's $8,300. If he comes into this tournament with any sort of form, I mean, is it outrageous for me to say that he is probably priced somewhere between Louis and I guess Shane Lowry? He'd probably be 9,900 to 9,700. Yeah, I was going to say 9,500 minimum. So, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm in. I'm in on web. I scratched off the posted note. I'm excited to be mad about this next Tuesday, but until then, we will we'll ride web. Well, I, I do think that he makes a lot of sense in GPP contests. There's going to be volatility. You know, just figure out how much you're willing to take on with that. But uh, I like web. I always like web. That's not going to come as a shock to anybody. But uh, let's talk a little bit about matchups. I don't know if you have any. I know you mentioned some fades that you were looking to take on are any of those guys matchups that you found or, or any prices in the space in general that you like? Nothing really. I just, I haven't looked in the last hour cause we were doing our podcast and whatnot, but no, I, this morning when I was looking, there was really like the guys I wanted to attack. I didn't really see anything that was on both offshore or inshore. So not much for me. I actually have a few this week that I like. Uh, the first handful will be on FanDuel. Um, Joel Damon minus 112 over CT Pan. I have the correct price on this being a little over minus 130. So it's not a ton of value, but I typically don't find a ton of head-to-head plays at these legal books. Pan is going to be volatile. He's one of the biggest outliers in both directions I have on my model. He's 27th for upside, 70th for safety. Uh, Damon is top 31 in all iterations. So it's not quite the same spot that we talked about last week with Cam Smith. 
But it's that same sort of thing with CT Pan where if he gives you some sort of an upside result, it's not going to come as the biggest shock in the world. But I do think miscut potential is in play. And when I take these head-to-heads, I'm always trying to find that miscut potential. So if Pan burns me for a top 10, he burns me for a top 10. That's something I can live with here. I think a miscut is a much higher percentage than the market would lead you to believe with it. I took Jason Kokrak minus 118 over Gary Woodland. I continue to have Woodland as a fade. I took Casey over him last week at the players. That worked nicely. And I think a lot of those reasons should come into play here at Copperhead. The course history is very troublesome for Woodland. And he ranks outside the top 75 in this field for my weighted GIR plus around the green and also for total driving there. So uh, I think Kokrak's a good grab. I've seen that number drifting a little bit at some of the offshore books at the time of recording this. I believe it is still minus 118. On FanDuel, um, Keegan Bradley over uh, Brian Harmon qualified at minus 118. I am not going to play this wager. I decided the pass. Um, Harmon isn't a large enough fade when I remove course history. And I worry some about how Bradley reacts to coming so close last week. It's more of a gut feeling than anything else. But I did want to note that the play did great as a positive value for me, for anybody that might want to put it in. Not going to make my official card, though. And then the plays that qualified at Bet online were Alex Norin minus 120 over Jason Day. It's another small edge on this, but Day's weighted tee to green and proximity numbers are horrendous in this field. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him start fast, but I don't think he can put it together for four days. Mito Pereira minus 120 over Francesco Molinari. There is nothing about how Molinari continues to gain strokes that seems sustainable to me. Uh, Mito is a good target against him also since he ranks inside the top 30 of my model. And then Pat Perez minus 120 over Carlos Ortiz. I like it also against Hoffman at the legal books, uh, but I think Ortiz has more boomer bust him than Hoffman does, which is always something I like taking on in head-to-head matchups. I will probably try to add a Louis head-to-head. I assume Bovada or somewhere else will give me a price against someone that I like near the top of the board. Uh, But that's the five plays that I am on already. I'm sure I will have a handful more whenever more books open up their pricing. I saw you were going to say something about the Jason Day wagers. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And just in general, is there anything that I mentioned that you want to know part of? No, I, I feel like I could sign off on all of them. I just wanted to know one, as you know, your friend and someone who's worried about your your safety and mental health, you're fading Jason Day. Is everything okay at home? The last time I faded Jason Day, he almost won a tournament. So this might be what's needed for him to get across the finish line. I'm at the point right now. I'll try different things out to see what works for Jason Day. Me picking him hasn't gotten him across the finish line in four years. So maybe fading him will go the opposite route with it. I just think Norin Safer is really what this comes down to. Like Day has a lot of red flags when I look at it. He's 93rd in my weighted tee to green. Uh, that is 42 spots worse than my strokes gain T to green on a, on a regular course. So when we put this specifically for Copperhead, he is 42 spots worse. Uh, his good drives gained, he's 77th. So for total driving, that puts him 52nd overall. His proximity number is 120th in this field. When I run it specifically just for this course, he's 131st. I just think Alex Noren gets me a top 40. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's going to be good enough to beat Jason Day with it. Now, As I said, I think Jason Day might start quickly, but I'm just afraid that one of these days we might see the implosion. We saw it at the players um, on whatever day that is, on his second round, though, where we kind of just keep getting that with him. Kind of just a number value play more than anything. 
That's fair. I like the uh, the unbiased approach here that you're bringing to the show this week. I'm trying very hard. You've gone the Xander route with it over and over again, so I have to try <laughs> to be unbiased the other way with it because we can't have a whole show of me touting Jason Day and you touting Xander Shoffley with it. But uh, anything fair. else you want to discuss before we move into the placement market? No, let's do it. All right. I am going to start us off again. The switch of going first continues to reap the benefits for me, but uh, Mito Pereira, top 40, plus 175 FanDuel, plus 150 DraftKings. Mito has appeared to flip the switch again when it comes to his ball striking over his past three contests, averaging 4.3 shots tee to green. Unfortunately, the putter has gone ice cold at the same time, losing 2.23 shots per start. But I think this is a course where good ball striking can get rewarded heavily for those that hit a ton of greens in regulation. The one downside is Pereira has been beyond horrible with his par five scoring as of late, playing his eight chances at TPC Sawgrass and two over par. But there is a mindset to be had that while par five scoring for those that compete near the top of the leaderboard will be extremely critical. There is also a viewpoint that says par five scoring for cut makers and top 40 participants might be lessened because of the challenge those holes will present the field. I think Mito can play right along to his 69th place rank in my model for par five scoring and be just fine in making the cut and coming top 40. So that's the first play for me. Mito Pereira top 40 plus 175 fan duel. Any thoughts on Mito and who do you have for us first? No, I love the uh, the buy low on Mito. If he gets anything going with the putter, I think it's an excellent price there. So I'm with you on that one. My first one is Tommy Fleetwood, top 20, plus 220 on DraftKings. My price was 185, so plus 185, 35 points of value. I am riding the good form from the players. He's one of the guys, again, I, I said he's in my top 15 in my model course fits. He looked great with the irons, both approach and the wedges around the green. All I need is just the putter to come alive a little bit, and I think top 20 is well in the cards for Tommy Fleetwood this week in this field. And, yeah, that's uh, that's my first one. I'm getting a little aggressive there with the top 20, so getting out of my comfort zone a little bit, but a good week last week, whatever. I'll say this about the Tommy Fleetwood play. I actually think he makes a lot more sense as a top 20 wager than anything else um, with the way you want to play it. Like when I look at my weighted T to green, he's 11 spots better than you would assume he would be at a different course. Uh, you can always look at bet MGM Bovada. There's different sites out there on the legal and, you know, offshore books where you can try to find matchups that are sorry, placement wagers that pay in full with it. So there's a lot of different ways to try to get some exposure in, to him in that type of a market with it. But yeah, I, I have absolutely no issues with it. I, I think it's a savvy play inside the top 20 market this week. And if he doesn't bring his best stuff, it's better playing him this way than playing him a top 40. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I'm not about to lay like minus 140 or whatever it is on most books. So yeah, top 20, that's where we're going with it. Plus 220 for Tommy Fleetwood. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. So my second play will be Jonathan Vegas top 40. That is plus 150 DraftKings, plus 125 FanDuel. I considered the plus 100 number on Vegas over layered at bet online also, but I decided to lessen the exposure since I never seem to get Vegas right. He is, I, I don't know how many times, Nick, I have recommended him on this show. I don't think one wager has won with him. So I want to throw that out there. I'm going to be playing this for a little bit less than usual, but if you go and look through his stats, you will notice a weird trend where he seems to compete better at these less than driver courses. I'm not exactly sure the reason for that because his distance and driving should be what enhances his chances weekly, but maybe there's something to be said about the way he can carry his irons off the tee and be left in these proximity ranges for his second shots that are more conducive for him to find success. This, as I said, is going to be one of the smaller top 40 wagers for me on the week, 
but my numbers like him in all iterations of the market. And I did want to find a way to get some exposure to him at Copperhead because I do believe that this is a spot that maybe I've been betting Vegas wrong every single week. And we want these less than driver courses for him. Yeah, I'm always down for Johnny Vegas, despite the letdown last week. But no, that one makes a ton of sense. I like it. Out of curiosity, where did you have Vegas ranked on your model? 33rd. The 24th. So it went in there. I just couldn't find a price that I loved a whole lot. Yeah, 24th for me, 16th for upside. Uh, the safety goes in the wrong direction there. A lot of times those are plays that you can play a little bit higher than a top 40, but I think a top 40, I, I like the number at plus 150. That's probably about as low as I would go with it, but I still think there's a little value on that number. But uh, what do you like next? Matthias Schwab, top 40, plus 140 on DraftKings. My price is plus 110, so only 30 points of value there, though. Um, but a guy that's a, a good ball striker, I believe he's 10th in the DP World Tour in strokes gained approach last year. He is also very good around the green, I believe, inside the top 20 there. He gained stroke putting, gained strokes putting in all U.S. events this season, so I believe that dates back to October. So a guy that seems to be putting well in America, and he's an excellent course fit model for me, especially with the lesson driver. He's obviously not a bomber or anything like that. The par fives certainly scare me, but a plus 140, I'll roll the dice. With Matthias Schwab, who's finished four top 35 finishes in his last five PGA events. So just going with my model there, a guy I definitely don't know a whole lot about. I've seen him play a couple times. I know he did really good at seventh at the Honda. So I do like that. He certainly has the ability to finish in the top 40, like I said. But yeah, Matthias Schwab, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, let me ask you this, uh, just for full disclosure on it. Where does he rank on your model? 34th, right behind Vegas. So he is 52nd for me. Um, he's 27th when running this for safety. I've noticed on a lot of the books, he seems to be matched up in a favorite in a lot of his matchups. So I think there's a lot of people that are in agreement with you on that. Like my only concerns would be the way to tee to green, which I don't have enough metrics on the field that comfortable with. It would be the par five scoring. He's 99th for me there, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Also don't really have enough there to put much into it. And yeah, the short game is incredible. He's the number one player on stats that I have, which dating back, I don't know how long I have for him, I guess towards like the end of last year, number one in putting 12th in around the green. Those are two really good stats to put together for this course. Yeah. Just go finish 39th, man. That's all I need. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think at $7,300 too, I think he's an intriguing guy to consider for DraftKings. Um, I did see the ownership going up a little bit. I saw over 5%, which kind of surprised me on it, but uh, any thoughts with him on DraftKings? Uh, I'll certainly play him. I'm probably be two X the field. I thought he would be 1%. I didn't know anybody else would, <laughs> would be on him at all. So that's kind of alarming that 5% is on him, but yeah, I'll, I'll go five to 10%. I'm not going to go crazy with him. I, it's someone I don't love. I do have an outright ticket on him at 150, but again, that's more because my model doesn't have a whole lot of data for him. So again, I, for him to be, now, I don't want to say that high, but that respectable in my model with so little data, I think that's someone I'm just going to buy low. And I think it was 150 to one, but we'll get there in a minute. Sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. As I said, he's 27th for me for safety and top 40 wagers, what you need is safety with it. So yeah, come in, come in 27th place. And that's a perfectly fine finish that everybody's happy with on that. So uh, yeah, no problems with that. Uh, my third play will be Aaron Wise, top 40 plus 130 DraftKings. Uh, that is plus 120 FanDuel. And Wise has some of the best metrics I can find for this course of any golfer in this range. He's the only player in the $7,000 section on DraftKings that grades inside the top 15 for upside. And he also ranks inside the top 12 in total driving and reweighted tee to green. I don't mind playing this wager higher than a top 40, but for the sake of the show, I think the best value for him comes in at plus 130. 
Um, I am curious to see where his numbers are for a top 20 on a site like Bovada or BetMGM since they pay ties in full. But I'll either play this one a little larger than the rest and only have the top 40 or sprinkle in a mixture of my exposure to him on a top 20 also if I find a number I like. Uh, did you happen to like Wise at all? I do. I think he's one of my favorite TFS plays this week. As much as I don't like him as a golfer, I, again, my model loves him too for this course. So I agree with you 100% on Aaron Wise. Yeah, he's one of the guys that I am fine playing in almost any iteration of the market that you can find. I'm fine playing this up into a top 10 or a top 20. I have an outright ticket on him that we will discuss in a little bit. Uh, the top 40 makes sense there. I think he's a great DraftKings play because of his upside, I think. We were looking at this just a couple weeks ago. He was creeping way up there in price, and now he's kind of, he went way down into the 6,000s. He went way up into, I don't know if he got up into the 9,000s ever, but now we're in a spot where he's in the 7,000s. I think it's a good number on him, but... Uh, anything you like else in the placement market? Do you want to run through the rest of the card? Yeah, I'll go quickly here. The hammer kid, it's uh, I was going to go no hammer this week, but since he won last week, I'll, I'll let him, you know, get back out there. Cameron Tringali, top 40 plus 125 on FanDuel. My price is minus 110, so 35 points of value there. Obviously, the form is a concern. He has been brutal off the tee, but he did finish third here last year. I know I don't like course history very much at all, especially on this course. I don't think it matters a whole lot. A guy that just tears up par fives. He's very good green and regulation. I think this is a, you know, a very good fit for him. He's a quality putter, good around the green. We talked about the ball striking with the green and regulation. I like Cameron Tregali a ton. And then the last plays for me, uh, probably the Hail Mary of the week is going to be Vaughn Taylor, top 40, plus 280 on FanDuel. I like Jason Kokrak at even money to finish top 30. I don't know if I'm going to punch that ticket yet. I'll wait for your input. And then I will go Webb Simpson top 40, even money on DraftKings. Uh, yeah, just for like we talked about Webb enough, but even money top 40. I think that's, I'm, that's that'll be my exposure. I'll probably go 2x the field in DraftKings and call it a day. Hopefully I don't bar Webb forever from my playbook. But yeah, it is Cameron Tringali, Jason Kokrak top 30, potentially Vaughn Taylor's a Hail Mary at top 40 at plus 280 on FanDuel, and then, yeah, Webb Simpson, even money. Let's start with Vaughn Taylor. So I think this is a unique way to try to get some exposure to Vaughn Taylor. He is likely going to probably be one of the highest-owned guys on the board in the $6,000 range. I see him at about 11 to 12% right now. Uh, really good course history with a 6th and the 18th in the last two times he's played it. 21st in my model for safety. I think this is a very good way that you can get some exposure to him. I like the Jason Kokrak ticket. Uh, Kokrak's a guy that I've been trying to figure out different ways to get exposure to. So I have a head to head against him uh, with him this week. Um, three top 13s at this course in his last three attempts. Uh, he comes in looking really good. 53rd at the players. We can throw that one out. That was kind of just a wonky tournament for everybody. 26 at the API, 26 at the Genesis, 17th at the Sony. And then if you're on Webb Simpson, I probably am going to have to find a way to get on Webb Simpson too in the top 40 market. Cause I agree. I, I don't think that he's ready to win yet, but I do think that this is the exact sort of a venue where you would expect them to come top 10 or 20. So I think as a, and maybe you can even play a little bit higher than a top 40 in reality on it, but I do think a plus number on Webb here uh, is an interesting way to play it. Yep. That is it for my card. Uh, what about yours? I know you got a couple more, don't you? Yeah, I have two more. So I have two long shot wagers. Um, it's going to be Adams Benson, uh, top 40 at plus 180 on DraftKings. That is plus 155 on FanDuel. And Danny Willett, top 40 plus 230 on FanDuel. That's plus 180 on DraftKings. Both are top 25 par five scorers in this field. Willett is one of the best short game players in the world. 
Svensson is a pristine ball striker that excels from 150 yards and beyond. We have seen him average four shots off the tee plus approach over his last three starts. I just think both of those numbers are way too inflated, but that will do it for me this week in the placement market. Uh, we talked a little bit off air on this. Um, I would like to get your thoughts on air though. I did consider Pat Perez plus 155 and Joel Damon plus 175, but I decided to play those two in the head-to-head market and not become overly exposed to multiple avenues. For me, I did that with Mito. I'm fine doing that. I'll probably be a little bit more aggressive on Aaron Wise with a top 40 and probably a top 20 if the price makes sense. But uh, thoughts on Perez and Damon and anything else to discuss before we move into outrights? Man, my model didn't really seem to love uh, Perez a whole lot. It did a little bit, but not much to find value on a ticket. And then Joel Damon, I don't know. He's just he's just not for me. I do like uh, the matchup against CT Pan. I think on FanDuel is minus 112, you mentioned, but that's that's probably it for me on Damon. Yeah, and I, and I think Perez probably just makes more sense taking in the head-to-head matchups that I talked about with it. I, I think once you get to the top 40, you might be hitting what his you know threshold is of upside there. So that was kind of my thought also. I think Damon and Perez just make a little bit more sense as a head-to-head. We don't need quite as much upside in that regards. I think the people that I place them against, hopefully I can get a miscut out of it. And you know if Perez ends up coming 43rd place, that's enough to win that head-to-head. And I don't need to worry about the placement market. But yeah, that, that's it for me this week uh, there. The, let's move into the outright market. And I will say this, it is way too on point for me to want to get overly involved. I'm just going to throw a few darts pre-event and try to figure things out once everything begins. But I bet Aaron Wise 100 to 1, Adam Svensson 250 to 1, and Danny Willett 200 to 1. All of those are on DraftKings. I do think someone at the top of the board is going to win. But I think all three of those choices should have their odds cut in half from where they are. I think they're way too high at those prices. I ended up betting Joel Damon and Jonathan Vegas at both 160 to 1 on FanDuel. Uh, the Damon one, I'm a little bit less intrigued with um, after talking with you on it. And even Vegas, I don't know what his upside actually is. But 160 to 1, I thought those were really good numbers. And I don't necessarily think Mito wins. But you can find them between 110 to 125 to 1 everywhere. I grabbed 125 to one. As you can tell, I still virtually have a complete card in front of me with exposure to do pretty much anything I want. I will be likely looking to add one of these names from the list as the tournament starts. Sam Burns, Louis Oosthuizen, Victor Hovland, uh, Colin Morikawa, Jason Kokrak, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Shane Lowry, or Terrell Hatton. I think all of those guys, let's see where their prices are after Thursday. I think that's maybe somewhere we we can go there. But yeah, I'm going to just save my big bullet and fire at a lower number. Uh, what does your card look like? I just have four. I got Sandra Shoffley, 21 to 1. Tommy Fleetwood, 55 to 1. I know you talked about probably just sticking to the top 20 market for him. But I don't know. My model loves him. I'm going to ride it. Matthias Schwab, 150 to 1. And Cameron Tringali, 75 to 1. So Xander was on FanDuel. Fleetwood on DK, Schwab on DK, Tringali on FanDuel. And that's probably it. I, I think I'm the same way with you at the top of the board. I'm going to wait for a, something to do live, and then we'll go from there. I think that's the best way to play this. It's just every single option that's 25 to 1 or less seems to be grading very well on my model. That makes these very complicated boards to try to gain an advantage with. So, uh, you know. We'll see if I can create some sort of, not necessarily a hedge opportunity, but if we can create any sort of a leverage on any of one of those long shots that I took over 100 to 1, 
Uh, I should have between, you know, 0.7 to 0.8 units left to unload on somebody. So depending on how much I usually on the in-tournament bets, uh, bet it to win five units instead of eight units with it. So, I mean, based off of that, it probably gives me two names that I can add from that group of players, um, depending on what their prices actually are. But yeah, I mean, is there anybody just, I guess just to throw it out there, anybody of that, like Burns, Louie, Hovland, Morikawa, uh, Kokrak, Fitzpatrick, Lowry, Hatton that you like potentially adding before the tournament or anybody that you would be looking at once the tournament starts? I think Hatton. Hatton would be my guy, I think. I, I'm very interested in him, especially if if his putter can get out. I think that's a guy that can putt like Cam Smith did on Monday. So I like his game. It's in a good spot, but I, th- I just haven't found a price I love. But I think that'll probably be the last ticket I punch just to get a fifth out right in there and call it a day. What is he in the market right now? 25 to 1? Yeah, I think 25 and 24 is what I saw. So, I mean, it's... I just have such a hard time thinking Justin Thomas or Colin or Hovland don't win this thing. So, it's like, I don't really... I mean, Xander's going to win, but, like, if he didn't, it'd be the other three. I think we're in agreement with that, though. I think the top of the board is very strong. I think that the winner comes from, unfortunately, that 25 to 1 or less range with it. So, you can add Hatton to that mix. I don't love the price at 25 to 1. I wish he was more in the 35 or 40 to 1 range, I think. Obviously, the field's not strong enough that we were going to get that. But if you could have given me that, that would have been a bet I would have placed before. But yeah, I'm just going to wait and see how the board shakes up this week. I think that's the best way to play it. If Thomas or Hovland just go wild on Thursday, I can always just not bet the tournament too. Yeah, there you go. I did find a little bit of value on Matthew Fitzpatrick, 33 to 1 on points bet. But even then, it's like I my mouse says I should punch it if he's 35. So I don't know. Just going to hold off for now. Yeah, it just seems like all the margins are so thin this week. But I don't know, man. Anything else you want to discuss before we let everyone get out of here? No, good luck to everybody this week. Thanks again for all the support. We, uh, we, you know, cannot thank everybody enough for continuing to grow the show. And we look forward to hearing everybody's feedback. Feel free to reach out to us all on Twitter individually or at Better Golf Pod. And we'll always get back to you. Yeah, perfect. Let everyone know where they can follow you, man. It is at Sticks Picks, S T I X P I C K S. And I hope to have an undefeated Twitter uh, week of picks again this week. So it'll likely be Cameron Tregali Hammer and then the Hail Mary of Vaughn Taylor. I don't think I'll probably do a live ticket, but we'll see what happens. Well, let's try to keep the momentum rolling. You can find me on Twitter at TF Sports. As Nick said, you can follow him at Sticks Picks. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And as Nick said, if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to one of us at those handles. Good luck this weekend at the Valspar Championship, and we will see you guys back here next week for the WGC Match Play.